Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Kelly, and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Anne Cummins. Anne is a wife, a mother, a sister and an aunt. My aunt. I always wanted to sit down with Anne. As a child, I always remembered her bubbly personality, always kind and welcoming. We chat through her life born into a big family in the tenements in Dublin, an era where money didn't mean anything, where people didn't look at each other different because what you had was shared. We chat about how family is most important and how now and over the past few years, she has relied on her brothers and sisters more than ever. We talk about her Dermot, the man he was and how Parkinson's destroyed their dreams and the awful decision made for Dermot to go into a nursing home. We talk about the painful, difficult fair deal process and how she couldn't cope if Dermot was alive today during COVID. We talk about her beautiful daughters, her love of bingo and the absolute carry on of their come dine with me nights. This is a lovely listen. Anne has the kindest soul, which she attributes to Dermot and her mantra of if you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? My name is Anne Cummins. The last 30 years I've lived in Riverside in Coolock. And I was born in North Great Georgia Street in Dublin 1. And then we moved to Charleville Mall, the North Strand. And uh, so I grew up in town, as people call it now. They say, oh, you're from town or you're from, they don't say you're from the city centre, you're from town. So I grew up in town, Dublin one, went to school in town. Lots of my friends, girls that I still know and would be in contact with were from town. Lots of them have moved out like that to the suburbs and Kulak would have been the suburbs and Dunny Kearney and those areas. So I'd still be great friends with people that lived in town and grew up very big. I come from a big family. There's 12 of us, six girls, six boys, which might sound huge now. But back then, you know, in the 40s, 50s and 60s, 70s, it wasn't a big family. Um and thank God they're all still alive and um, still in contact with them. There's only one of them living in town now. Everybody else moved out to the suburbs. And uh, so, yeah, very, very big, happy, most of the time, happy family um, that we all got on. Usual ups and downs that families have. Um, but we're now, I'd say in the last 
20 years, 25 years that we've become, we're, we're closer now than we ever were. So big families can be close and we, we are, we're very lucky that we all still talk to each other and we all still get on with each other. Um, so for full disclosure, Anne is my aunt and one of those brothers is my dad. That's right. Yeah. Tell me about what the times were like growing up compared to now, like what we have to what you had growing up. Oh my God. We often laugh about this. Um, like we, we hadn't got a phone in our house. That's one of the big things that always sticks out in my head because of the way we are now about phones. Everybody has mobile phones and is connectable. I remember um, the woman upstairs um, got a phone and you, you used to be able to go up and leave the 20 pence on the, on the stand to make a phone call. And my girls, I have twin girls that are 29 this year and they can't understand that you lived in a, a in an environment where there wasn't uh, a phone. But not only that, we we lived in a two bedroom flat, and at any given time in that two bedroom flat, there would be at least ten people, at least ten. Other times now there could be twelve or fourteen. But as the older ones moved on and got married, they, we, but we two bedrooms and. Um, the girls slept in one bedroom. The boys had another bedroom. And my man and dad slept on a fold-out bed in the kitchen. And my girls are looking at me and saying, what do you mean? <laughs> fold-out bed in the kitchen. And I'd say, yeah, they slept on the sofa. They pulled it out and that was their bed. So they were last to bed at night and then forced up the next morning. Um, and before that, like they lived in the, t- in the tenements in North Great George Street. Now I was born there. So that was in the early sixties. So I think I was the last before they got their, their place, before they got their house, uh, their, their flat. Um, they lived in rooms in North Great George Street, 34, I think it is North Great George Street. And it's still there. It? It's used now for, um, I think it's either the, the HSE owned them and they use them for, uh, the, the for people with hearing uh, problems and uh, visual problems. And there's a couple of houses along that street that you can go into. One of them is uh, an art gallery and it's exactly the room sizes are exactly the same. They're all done up now, but they were fabulous houses at the time. They were built because you can go back and see what they were like. Mm-hmm. But when we lived in them, from what I remember my ma telling us about them, like down the, the flights of stairs in the pitch black at night, no toilet. Um, so they, they, they were hard. They were very hard times that for them. And then when we moved to Charleville Mall, I, I, we had a, a, just a normal, we were the same as everybody else. Everybody was the same. I think that I, when I think about things now, I think that's what's different. There is differences between people, even your neighbours or people along the road or people in different parts of Everybody is different. Everybody, you know, there's a there's a wider spectrum of um, like this unemployment is still a big problem in in North County Dublin, in, in the areas where we are. Unemployment is still big. And I think people are, you know, they're looked at differently. Um, years and years ago, like men had jobs on the docks. They were turned out to be some of the best jobs. They got jobs in the post office. They turned out to be great jobs. Whereas nobody was treated any differently because everybody was exactly the same. We were all the same. You, nobody had cars. Nobody had fancy this, fancy that. Like I remember um, my ma's neighbours coming along the, the veranda, the balcony out the front and tapping at the window. Any sugar? 
and they'd push the door in. And if there was a bag of sugar, they got half the bag of sugar. And that was the way every, you wouldn't knock at anybody's door now for anything. You wouldn't, unless you were really good friends with them. I have a friend that lives across the road and I might say to her, I haven't got an onion, do you know, and she'd give you an onion, but you wouldn't. Years ago, everybody shared everything. And I've heard stories of other families and they were exactly the same. If, if you got something, it was divided by four families that lived on the balcony. The four families got something out of it, whatever it was. So everybody was the same. But when you were growing up in that environment, you didn't see yourself as any different. Like we got, we, we went to school, we played out on the streets in the flats. We're out later nine o'clock at night. Kids don't do that now. Well, I think parents are torn in slightly that they are encouraging their children to play out more, go to playgrounds. We didn't have playgrounds. We played, the streets were our playground. And if you were in a club, that was even, that was fantastic. A youth club on a Tuesday night, the nuns used to run the youth club in St. Agatha's Hall on a Tuesday night. And there might be a dance or something on a Friday or a Saturday afternoon, but everybody was the same. Money didn't mean anything because you didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You didn't, but you didn't get pocket money or you didn't, you got what you wanted. You know, you got what you needed. You didn't always get what you wanted. You got what you needed. And I always remember my mother used to, my mother was great for saying, she was a very funny woman. Um, she used to say things, you can't have it on you and eat it, you know, and eat it as well. So if you were looking for a new skirt or she'd say, no, the money is spent on food. And that's where the money went. The money paid the bills um, and everybody like, and I know girls now, girls that I went out with, or hung around with, like one of them lives out in Pont Marnock and she still talks exactly the same way as she spoke when she lived in town. She'd say, how are you? How, you know, she talks exactly the same way. And we were all exactly the same. Everybody was exactly the same. And I, I, I think mostly when I look back, very happy. Like my dad worked, he worked away sometimes. He, you know, he had to go to England. Like I remember him coming home on a, Friday night and then leaving again on a Sunday night and my ma then would be on her own to rear whoever was there to be reared and she worked as well so she, you know um, I do look back on it and I'd say how, how did she do that like how my memories of my ma are standing eating her dinner she never sat down standing to eat our dinner or standing at the sink scrubbing short collars or socks they're my memories of my mum. and we I remember when she got a washing machine it stood in the kitchen and she wouldn't use it she you know and I said ma it's a washing no she she couldn't get over the fact that there was a machine that was going to do her work what her job was what, what made her the mammy in our house and you know but I look and I think how how did she do it how did you know I I you know, I, I just, I just, it, 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 she never drove a car. She never learned how to drive. She only got a passport when she was going to Lourdes. And even then she, like she'd never left the country, but, but was so happy that, that that didn't make any difference. And our life must have been tough. There must have been times when I'm sure she must have felt like running away, but she was always there. All morning, noon and night, she was always, and she, she just made the best of it. You know, she she just made and worshipped our sons. Now loved our daughters as well, but our sons could do no wrong. They were the sun, moon and stars and uh, always had a soft spot for our son. And she made, as we grew older, she made the, the house like Stevens's day. Everybody had come for their dinner. 
And she she'd go and if you said to her, No, go to we'll go to Lily's or Margaret's, ah no. They come to me. So she she kind of kept the heart of the family for years and years and years, as long as she could. As long as she could. So yeah, we were very I I think everybody when they look back on their childhood, they see different things and remember different things. And your memory can become a bit fuzzy, you know, but most of it was happy. It was the usual stuff. Like there was, there was things, you know, and you'd say, Jesus Christ, you know, that happened or this happened. And I'd say, did it, did that, in our house, did that happen? And yeah, but there would be nothing major, you know, nothing. There was no one killed. There was no, nobody caused a war or, you know, so yeah. And we, um, we were taught that you had, you were respectful to people. You know, you said, yes, please. And no, thank you. And there's nothing wrong with those. There's nothing wrong with those values. I still hold those values now. When I meet people, I'd still, and I'd address them as Mr. or Mrs. And they'd say to me, no, call me by my first name, call me Margaret or call me. And I'd say then, yeah, okay. But I would still, and I would be very respectful of people. And when my kids were small and grown up, I, my, and they, they tell you, they tell you what, if they say, what did your mom used to say? If you have nothing nice to say, say nothing. And that's what I, and I just say, that won't put you wrong. If you have nothing nice to say, just keep your mouth shut. People won't say, she didn't say anything. They'll say, no, there was nothing bad said. And yeah. so, and so you won't be, so if you have nothing, not that they're not entitled to their own opinions, we're all entitled to our own opinions. And, but there's a way of being nice to people and it's, there's a way of coming across to people. And I would be always like that. I would always be one that would, I wouldn't want to cause offence to anybody or upset anybody. So rather than say something, I'd say, no, it doesn't matter. That's grand. That's fine. And sure, a day later, it's forgotten about. So there would be no arguments. You know, I'm not sure I was always like that, but definitely in the last 25, 30 years, I would be. And then tell me about growing up with your relationships with your siblings. Great relationships. Um, Usual fights over especially with the girls over clothes, forced up, best dressed. So whoever was out forced was out best dressed. I, re- I always remember a story. I used to work in uh, an office and we worked until nine, eight o'clock on a Friday night. And um, I used to meet the girls in town. We'd go into the Gresham or the Royal Dublin. That was their spot. Now, I didn't drink. I was a teetotaler. I didn't. I was soda water and lime was my my drink. That that has changed now over the years. Um, be married with children will turn you into an alcoholic. I don't care what anybody says. No, I'm joking. But no, I didn't drink. And I remember I had bought a beautiful fur jacket and... Uh, I was hanging in the wardrobe and uh, I was working till eight o'clock and one of the girls rang me in work and said, we're going in for a few drinks. Will you come in and meet us after work? I said, yeah, I said, I will, even though I wasn't really in the humour. In I went into the Gresham Hotel in O'Connell Street, down to the bar, um, sitting in the bar and uh, in me work clothes. I, it was a, a, you had to wear a navy suit and a white shirt and that's what I was wearing sitting in the Gresham Hotel. And I could hear laughter from the end of the bar and I looked down and at the far end of the bar, my younger sister was sitting with my four jacket <laughs> draped over her shoulders, looking like a million dollars. And I stood up and I start walking down. And as I got closer, she was sitting with her two friends and she was chatting away to other people. And she was like this. When she seen me coming towards her, here she was. No, don't say anything. <laughs> 
So I didn't. I walked away and mm. sat down. And when she came home, she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, you're sorry you were caught. <laughs> I said, I hadn't even put that jacket on me. But that's, you know... And now it doesn't change. It's nothing changes. Yeah, yeah. Nothing. I but I could go to her house, open her wardrobe, and take whatever I wanted if I was going to a wedding or a do. But no, because there's um there's a fairly big age gap now. The youngest is fifty one, and I think the oldest is seventy four. So that's a bit, and I'm, I'm, I'd be 60 now this year. So even when I was like twenty, they were in there. 40s and 50s they were long gone and married and when you're growing up like that you, you're, you're kind of gravitated towards the ones nearer your age mm-hmm. so they would be the three younger ones and maybe the two older than me so there was that family and then there was the older family so most of them by the time I had reached my teens my early teens had married like four or five of them had gone off and got married and had children of their own then at that stage do you know what I mean yeah. so you I was an aunt but I think when you get married, well, from my experience, when you get married, you're you're still part of that big family, but your married family becomes your family. Mm-hmm. They're your extended family. Your sisters and your brothers become your extended family. Your family is your husband and then whatever children you have, that's your family. And it's only as they get older that you kind of gravitate back to the extended family, mm. you know, because mm. we're all back nearly now. Like it's like you're single again or, mm. you know, they're, you're, they're, you're, they're just a married couple. Um, but I know when I got married, that was my world and I was in a different, you know, but growing up um, and my brothers, I have to say, I, I know and I, I think I always knew um, even in, in, the, in the years gone past, if I needed help or if I was stuck, I, I could contact one of my brothers and they'd be there in a harpy, in an absolute harpy. Mightn't have seen them for ages and ages, weeks, months, even years. But I know if I was stuck and to me, that's family. It doesn't matter how long it is since you had a a long conversation or you were at a party with them or you were in the home. It's somebody you can call on if you have a problem or if you're stuck. And I mean, I don't mean if you have a problem. I mean, if you need somebody to to go somewhere with you, to help you out with something. Mm. I'm not talking about finance or things like that. I mean, somebody that will stand beside you when you're in a, in a situation that you need help with, mm. that could be, um, I've had cause to have to go to court in, 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 in my last kind of 10, 15 years. And I had never been in a court in my life. I'd never stood in a court. I never had to, I was never in trouble, thank God, but I never had to go to court. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. And I rang my sister and I said, if she's not able to come with me, I know there's one of my brothers that I'll ring and he'll be, he'll come and stand beside me. And that's all you need is somebody just to stand at your shoulder and say, no, you're OK. You've got this. There's no there's no big deal. And to me, that's what links us as a family. We might not have always had the, the, you know, the best birthday parties or the most money or the most. But there, there was something that brought us blood, you know, that blood is thicker than water, that kept us close. And I know even now, if I had any kind of an issue or if one of my children had an issue, I could ring somebody and say, I need you to come here. I need to talk to you. And they'd be there. They'd drop everything and they'd be in my house or they'd meet me somewhere. And that's what siblings Mm. are about. 
And if you if you have that with your siblings and don't get me wrong, fighting over stupid things, you know, if, if you were going somewhere, I remember going somewhere with my friends, going out on the train to Bray and my mad say, no, you have to bring home. And I'd say, well, I'm not going now if I have to bring yeah. home with me. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I, yeah. This person that's part of me and mm. that I look, but I didn't want her with me. Yeah. I wanted to be with my own friends, but that's, that's life. Um, but now they're my best friends. Yeah. My brothers and sisters are my best friends. Before anybody else, I'd, they, I'd do anything for them. I know I would. And, and I'm not being big headed by saying that if, if they asked me to do anything, yeah. I'd be there because the way I look at it is they, they know, they, they know everything about me. They know where my bodies are buried. Yeah. They know they've been on the digs with me. Yeah. So they know everything about me and no questions asked. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. And that is, that, that's where, what, what I think of when I think of my siblings and growing up, I think they always had each other's backs. They, there was always, there was problems. Of course, you're going to have problems with young teenagers and staying out late, and not coming home and all of that. But they always had each other's backs, I think. Um and they would have done anything for anything. And even though they're older now, and as I say, some of them are in their late 60s and 70s, um, they're still well able and mm-hmm. just say the word mm-hmm. and they'd be there. And that's that's most important. That's most important. Can I ask you what it was like when Madeleine met Isaac? Oh, my God. See, we love Isaac. I, we, I've, I've always loved Isaac Perry. Um, Isaac is from Zambia, Luzaka. Madeline, um, yeah. Where did she meet him? I think she met him when she was on holiday somewhere. (laughs) I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, but Air Madeline, I do say sometimes Air Madeline has a bit of a gypsy in her, you know, she's, she's a kind of a rambling rose. Um, so I'm not a hundred percent sure where she met him. And do you know, my ma was brilliant. Because my mother was a bit, I think she was a bit ahead of her time. Do you know, I, I really, really do think she was a bit ahead of her time. Because when Madeleine, when Isaac and Madeleine got married, um, there wouldn't have been a lot of non-nationals living in this country. There wouldn't have been. So, but I think my dad might have been a little bit more kind of, you know, I don't know what, I don't, I I wouldn't say, I I definitely wouldn't think that there would be any kind of an issue with him or anything. And I have to say, before I I say anything else, my dad grew to love and respect Isaac so, so much. Isaac, there's, there's there's something in Isaac Perry that's, he's, he's a, a very special individual. He's a very special man. And if you spend a bit of time with Isaac, you come away saying, do you know, that pace of life now is the way we should be living because mm-hmm. everything about Isaac has slowed down and is slow and is easy. So yeah, no, there was, there was, within our family, there was no big issue. I do think that she had issues that maybe we, we weren't, um, that we didn't see on a day to day basis. And then she had children, um, as well. And I think that's why they, they moved. They, they, they went to live in the UK and, um, uh, made their lives there because it was at that time, it was more acceptable. Mm. Um, 
sometimes I think she they, they, they would have liked to have come back and but they had made lives and their children had made lives for themselves there but there was no there was never an issue in within our family with him your dad mm. my brothers and sisters absolutely love him just very special guy um, and because you didn't grow up with any kind of prejudice or you, we didn't see anybody as any different, like religion wouldn't have been an issue in our house or like that race, creed or colour wouldn't have been. So it was quite accepted. Um, but maybe me, me dad a little bit slower mm. and my mother, no problem. Absolutely no problem. Um, totally accepted, uh, full on, no problem. Absolutely. And they lived with us for quite a while before they got a house. So, you know, he very nice, very easy person to get on with. A very easy person to, you know, and Madeline would say now that he he is her best friend, her soulmate. You know, um, but she, 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 I think she was on holidays when she met him and extended her holiday by uh, quite a while insofar as that uh, I think um, we were kind of worried that she was gone and wasn't coming back. Yeah. Do you know that kind yeah. of a way? But yeah, no, there wasn't a big issue. There was none in our family. I know there was with other people and I, I see that even now, Rebecca, mm. um, which really saddens me. You know, it really, really saddens me. Um, everybody, as far as I'm concerned, is the same and we're all the same and we're all here on the one train ticket. Nobody better than anybody else and nobody, you know, but I, I, I do feel for, for people that are, are, are treated badly because of their race or their creed or their colour. Um, and I hope that down the road things change, you know, and, and especially in this country, we've so many beautiful, wonderful people that are here now living that have brought things into our country, which are enhancing our country. Mm. And we, we have to be more accepting of that. I think, I think anyway. And then tell me about Dermot. Okay. So Dermot, my husband, um, I met Dermot in uh, 1988. I was involved for uh, a few years before that in um, in theatre. And uh, I'm laughing now to myself because when I think about it, I don't even think I'd have the nerve to do anything on stage now. Anyway, uh, I met him in 1988. He, he was working on a show and I was in the show. He was lighting and designing the show and we met then. And then didn't see each other for about six or eight months. And then in, in 1989, um, I was asked to go and do uh, a production for, um, uh, or Casey's women. It was about the tenements in Dublin. They knew that I had been born in the tenements and asked what they, they were commissioning a piece for O'Casey's women. And Dermot again was involved on the light and for it. And I went and we struck up a friendship then and he had been married and um, his first wife, uh, Nora, um, lovely, lovely woman, I, even though I never met her. Um, they had be, hadn't been married for very long when it was discovered that she had cancer. And she went into remission and she was in remission for about two years. And then she died in the early 80s. I think it was 81 or 82 Nora died. So... Um, yeah, she was she was only in her early 30s when she died. So he was on his own and um, we met and we start going out and we got married in 1992 and had the twins. Was he twins. romantic? He 
you know what? He was so romantic in, 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 in a very old fashioned and naive way. He was very romantic, but he was, he, he was just, he was, he was a gentleman. He was an absolute gentleman and he, he, he could be so, he, he, he would annoy me so much. He was so nice. Do you know somebody like that? Yeah. That you would, you think, oh, he was, he's so good. He never, he never, he'd never say no. Nothing was ever a problem. Nothing. And I'd, I, I'd, I'd say to him, such and such. And he'd say, yeah, okay. And I'd say, but why you're agreeing with me? And he, it wasn't even like that. It was just that he was just, and he was a country. He was from Sligo. He was from the West of Ireland. He was very gentle, never, like he never raised his voice. He, he was so kind, so different from anybody I'd ever, ever met, ever, ever been involved with or ever met. He was just lovely, kind. And he he made me want to be a better person. He genuinely made me want to be. He, 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 made, he, I could see the richness in being a better person. I could see the richness that you could achieve in your own self of, of the peace of mind that you would have, of the, of the easiness that you would have with yourself for being a good, kind person. And that's what he was. Genuinely, he was just, a, and I know everybody says that about, but I don't think I was that kind of a good, genuine person, but he made me want to be that person. And he, he, he taught me, you know, that if, if somebody is angry or upset with you or has an opinion about you, that's not your problem. That's their problem. And you becoming upset and angry is taking on their issue. And he taught me that. And I, and I, and he'd say to me at night going to bed now, is there anything you're worried about? And I'd say stupid things. I'd say, I might say the girl in work now was saying such and such about weight. And he'd say, but that's not your problem. Why are you taking that on? That's let that go. And, you know, stupid things that you might, you know, or they might have a better house than you or He'd say, but that's not important. And I'd say, no, you're right. It's not. So he did make me want to be a better person. And he was 47 and I was 31 when the twins were born. And Dermot genuinely thought that he was never going to be a father. He never, he thought. So when we discovered, first of all, that I was pregnant, he cried for about a week. He cried nonstop. The fellas in work told me that he was working with uh, Chris Heffernan in Utrecht. And they told me every day, if somebody said something to him about being a father, he'd start crying. He'd, the tears would roll down his face. He was so emotional about it. And then when we discovered that it was twins, he nearly lost the, he nearly lost the plot altogether. No, I, I cried for about a week when I discovered it was twins as well. As you know, I'm one of six girls. I'm the only girl that has had twins. And uh, so my mother said to me, that's you and your dramatics. You couldn't just have one baby. You're having two. So no, but I was delighted and really, really happy because Dermot didn't think this was going to happen. And a story maybe some people do know, but my family do know. Sylvia and Susanna were born on the 21st of August. And Dermot's first wife's Nora's birthday was the 21st of August. Oh my God. And a friend of ours, Dermot, both Dermot and I said, whatever, my mom said to me, first of all, whatever kind of God you believe in, because she was a bit of an atheist herself. She said, whatever God you believe in, she said, that is some kind of a blessing. She said, for those three people now, 
in Dermot's life to share the same birthday. And I knew her birthday was in August, but I didn't know it was the 21st of August. And another friend of me said, she, she bought us, um, she was a good friend of Dermot, she was a writer, a beautiful woman. She's dead now, God rest her. Beautiful uh, writer. And she bought us a candlestick with five candle holders on it. And she said to me, I'm giving you this, Anne, she said, because this is to represent the five people in this house. And I said to her, and she looked at, and I looked at her and she said, you, you know what I mean? She said, you, Dermot, Anne, you, Aunt Dermot, Sylvia and Susanna, and she said, Nora, the five people that are in this house. And that, because I thought um, after the twins were born, we were thinking of selling the house mm. because Dermot, you know, this is his and Nora's house. And, and when, she, when she said that to me, I said, no, she's right. This, this is, because that, that was part of Dermot's life. Mm. You can't wipe away the past of somebody, you know, that they already had a relationship or were already married or they already had a child. You can't wipe those things. So yeah, if you embrace them, it then it becomes so normal. And we are so connected to Nora's family. Family. Um, they're from Tipperary. We are so connected to them. Um, and Sylvia and Susanna grew up knowing them as cousins, even though they're no blood relation. Um, and and, and I, I'm very happy. Even now, I actually only got a phone call the other day from um, Nora's brother and he rang just to see how I was doing, everything all right. So very connected. So yeah, and so we decided then to stay in Riverside. Derma had been there before I got there. Um, and it's been a happy house, do you know? Ooh, I love your house. A happy, a happy, happy, happy house. Mm. Um, that I, I'm so glad that because we were this close, we were really this close to saying we'll sell it up and buy something for for us. Yeah. And I said no, but this is for us. You can't wipe that person out that lived here. And no fear in me whatsoever. No fear whatsoever. Love it, love it. So yeah, he was a really good soul and. Uh, just before his, I think it was about his 55th birthday, um, Chris Heffernan rang me. Chris w- worked in Newtreach and he said to me, is everything all right? And I said, yeah, I was wondering why he was ringing me, but, but I was in work. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, some of the lads in, in the in the class came in and said Dermot wasn't himself. And I said, what? I said, is he sick or something? And they said, he said, no, he said, no. And he said, anyway, he said, I just said, I'd check in with you. So when he come home that evening, I looked at him and he looked like he was after having a stroke. It's one side of his face. And I said, Dermot, are you okay? And he said, yeah, he said, he said, everybody's asked me, am I all? And I said, Dermot, no, we'll have to go to the doctor. So Dr. Clean on Mountjoy Square was our doctor. Lady Dr. Clean was my doctor. And he went to column and we went in and, um, he rang me the next, no, he said to me, um, I'll send him to see somebody. I said, what do you think it is? He said, I don't know. He said, but there is something there. He said, I can see his eyes after drop. And I said, did, did he have a stroke? And he said, well, there's nothing wrong with his heart and blah, blah. Anyway, we got a letter. We got a note to go into the matter on the 21st of December. I'll never forget it. The 21st of December, the week before Christmas. And we walked in to this guy and he said, the first thing, two seconds shook hands with Dermot and said hello to me. And he said, you have Parkinson's disease. No, I, I, I had never, I'm sure I had heard of Parkinson's, but I hadn't, if you know what I mean, mm. you know, you hear those things in, in your head. And I said, what? I said, Parkinson's disease. He said, yeah. He said, no, he said, the good news is, he said, 
it's the very early stages and there's fantastic medication and they're always researching, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he said, uh, yeah, put them on the medication. And I said, right, okay, went. And the first place I had to go was the chemist down on the Tonleggy Road. And I'll never forget it. I went in and your man said to me, um, the, the, the girl took the prescription and the chemist came out because he knew me from going in and out for the, when the kids were small and that. And he said, Anne, he said, is this for Dermot? And I said, yeah. And he said, come here. And he called me over to the side. He said, he has Parkinson's. I said, yeah, he was just diagnosed this morning. He said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. He said, don't go on the internet. And it was the best piece of advice I got because, you know, now, doctor, everybody laughs yeah, about yeah, Dr. Google. Yeah. You, you look up something and you get the worst case scenario. So I didn't. So I read up a little bit about it. He gave me a few booklets and I said, oh, this isn't too bad. This is grand. Do you know, this isn't, you know, it's a, it's a, a it's an illness. All right. A progressive illness, but it's a long period of time. Unfortunately, there are different types of Parkinson's. And what happened with Dermot was Dermot's progressed very, very quickly. So within three years, he had to retire from work. The twins were only small at the time. The twins were only 10 11, 12, you know, that kind of an age. Yeah. 10, 11, 12. So within three years, he had to retire from work. Within five years, he had to stop driving. And, um, it changed, it changed our whole, I'll, I'll, I'll just say something here now, because it's, it's one of the things I remember when Dermot and I, when the twins were eight, nine, we used to plan what we were going to do when he retired from work and the twins were bigger. We were going to go traveling. We were going to go to Russia. Iceland to all of the places that we wanted to go to. We planned and we used to sit down, we used to get brochures and we'd write it down. We do an itinerary for ourselves and we planned and planned. And then when Dermot got sick, those plans just went out the window. They just, we did a bit of traveling. We went on a cruise. We'd, 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 we'd great times, but I think now that we should have done the things instead of just planning them and talking about them. And of course you have to work and you have to make money and you have to pay your bills and pay your mortgage. But we spent so much time planning that we should have just done some of that. And that, that's my only regret now that he's dead, that we didn't do some of those things that we planned. And if somebody said to me, what advice would you give to a married couple? I'd say, do the things that you talk about doing. Mm. Do it. Don't just say, we're going to do that in five years. We're going to do that for our 20th wedding anniversary. Do it now because tomorrow is not promised to anybody. It's, it's definitely, but anyway, um, yeah, he, he, he got really sick. I went and trained as a healthcare assistant so that I could look after him. I, I did my VTech level five and, uh, cause I wasn't working. Um, Derma had a really good job, um, the twins were at that age when they started secondary school. I went back to work and did bits and did part-time jobs, but I I wasn't working full-time. And so his money was, was, was plenty. And we never, I never wouldn't be a worrier about money. Mm. And I'd never worry about money, but he, he had a good job, but then he had to, they, they had to ask him to retire early, which was a big blow. Um, because his pension was a lot less than what his job was paying him. But, um, and then, so we, we, we were at home and I was looking after him and doing the best we could. And then he got sicker, not sicker. His mobility got less and less and less. And then he developed a thing called Louis body dementia, which is an awful illness as well. Um, what is that? That's his short term memory. Okay. He could remember things from 
30, 40 years ago, but he couldn't remember what he was after having for breakfast. He couldn't remember that he had just eaten something. He didn't know. One day he sat down and he didn't know what to do with a knife and fork. Do you know? No, that didn't happen all the time, but they, they were thinking, it was those little short, and you couldn't leave him on his own then mm-hmm. because you'd say to him, I'll be back in 10 minutes and you go out and he'd think you were gone for hours. Mm-hmm. And then I was worried that he would try and go out because he did go out on his own one night, a couple of years later, he, he opened the door and went out in the middle of the night. And, you know, when you think about things like that, but anyway, so that, that happened and he got really, you know, his condition got worse and no, he was still there I know he was still there and we still had laughs and funs because I used to say to him give me a smile just let me know that you're there and he would but then they discovered then that he had a tumor on his lungs a little tiny tumor and they were watching that and um just over he he ended up then in a nursing home because we just couldn't I couldn't I couldn't look after him and he wasn't happy with me doing the things that I had to do for him. So there was this constant battle between the two of us and that wasn't doing anybody any good. I wanted the best, only the best for him. So he, he, he went to a lovely nursing home that was only up the road. I went to see him every day and, um, he can, got, can I ask you just for families now who are dealing with that decision and the, the guilt? Oh my God, Rebecca, even now, I would still feel so guilty that that happened. I would feel that I let down, even though I know he knows I didn't. It's the hardest. It's it, And it's not for everybody. I'm not saying that it is for everybody, but it was a really tough decision. But I had no other option. I, I, I tried everything, absolutely everything. I battled for care for my home. I worked really, really hard to make sure. But... I was beginning to suffer. My health was beginning to suffer. I was, I became really depressed. I, I didn't want to go out. I didn't want anybody coming in. And that's not like me. Anybody that knows me knows I love a a good chat and a laugh. There were times when somebody knocked at my door and I wouldn't answer the door. I got to that stage because I thought he, I, I thought I had let him down in so many ways. And he, he, he had no control over over his bodily functions, so anything could happen at any time. And I didn't want people to see him like that. I wanted him to have care twenty four seven, so that he. So before we had talked about stuff before we we talked about death. We had made our wills. We had done all of that. And he said to me at one point in the early stages, he said, "Anne, if you think that you can't, and I'm not." you know, if you, if you can't manage to look after me, this is what you'll do. And I used to say, I'm never going to do that over my dead body. Am I going to do that over when something is put right in front of your face? That's when you make those decisions. You know, the way people say, if somebody told me I was going to die tomorrow, this is what, or next week, this is what I would do. You don't know what you'll do because when that decision is put right in front of your face and that decision was put right in front of my face, he had a terrible fall and the fire brigade had to come and the army couldn't get him up off the floor. God. And not only did he fall, me running to help him, I slipped and fell and knocked myself out. So the two of us, I was concussed and he was in a terrible state. So by the time Sylvia, or my Sylvia, our Sylvia arrived to get us up off the floor, the ambulance was there to fight. We were in an awful state. So the doctors 
I sat down with doctors and neurologists and healthcare assistants and everybody. And I said, you know, I'll bring him home. And your man, the doctor said to me, and he said, look, wait, I tell you, he said, you're, you're not going to be doing Derma any favours. He said, no. And we always recommend that people stay in the community, that they stay in their home. He said, you're really not doing any favours. Derma was in a wheelchair at this stage, had to be hoisted into bed, had to be hoisted. I had the hoist. The day Derma went into the nursing home, the hoist arrived in our house. So that I would be able to, I, me, on my own would hoist him in and out of the bed. That's what I thought I was going to be able to do. So, yeah, it's it's a very hard decision and it's a, it's a, it's an awful decision. It's And it's an awful process, Rebecca, Is it? to go through because we had to do a fair deal on our home. Now, that doesn't mean anything to a lot of people and it doesn't mean a lot to me because that house is only bricks and mortar. Your home is in here, in, in you, inside you and in your head. But the process of that is is really long and hard and painful and to, to they make it very difficult. They don't make it easy for people. Will you explain what it is? Because obviously Paul's family went through it with his, his, his that's granddad. Right. Yeah, yeah, he that's went right. through it. Yeah. So uh, what is it's, it? a, it's an awful process. It's, 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 a, it's a scheme where you, you give them a portion of your property, of the value of your property. I can't remember the exact figures now. I have them all written down at home because I still owe the money. I haven't paid it. Mm. I Luckily, I don't have to pay it. It'll be when I die and the house is sold. So it's a portion of money up to a certain amount of money. Okay. Now, these are this is for people that have worked and lived, paid their taxes, paid their rents, their mortgages, everything. This is for those kind of people. That they and and they have to give part of that back for their long term care when they reach a stage where there isn't somebody to look after them or the people that are there with them can't look after them. So that's what and these people it's 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 and it's 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 it can be very scary and very frightening. Like I was only in my fifties when I had to do it. Can you imagine what it would be like for the partner of a seventy or an eighty year old? Mm-hmm. Very difficult, and you have to go through solicitor. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And you have to go through the courts to make sure that it's all above board, that you're not trying to do, you know, you're not trying to... Um, Put somebody into a nursing home that doesn't want to be in a nursing home. You, you know, you're, 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 you're responsible for that person. And but why would you do? I don't know. Anyway, but I find it even now, even to think about it, it was such a difficult process. And I would be well used to dealing with forms and applications. And it's very complicated. There's nothing easy or there's nothing fair about it as far as I'm concerned. Nothing at all. It's not a bit fair, but we did it and um, we got a, a really nice nursing home. Mm-hmm. There are nursing homes that um, the the publicly run nursing homes and they're lovely and mm-hmm. they're fantastic. But some of them still do insist on certain amounts of payments um, and they're very, very expensive for, for that. Kind. And I don't think that should be, you know, people that have lived and worked all their lives. Mm-hmm. Really, and worked really, really hard mm. and gave something for, you know, gave something back in their lives. And they, they're faced with these huge bills then because nursing homes are wildly expensive. So it's a very difficult and tricky process. I believe there's an organisation now um, that help people with it. There mm. was nobody to help me. I went to lots of different places. There's a place up in Darndale um, in the Bell Building um, that the the there's a, a group up there, the golden years, and there's a couple of people up there and they helped me fill out those forms and they were brilliant. They were, and only for them, they were brilliant. And as I said, I had to go to court and my sister, cause I never, and I was shaken. I was absolutely shaken because you have to go stand up in front of the judge and swear that you're acting in the best interest of this person. Um, and I was really nervous um, and they were really good. And it wasn't that I was taking power of attorney for Jeremy. There was nothing mm. like that. I was just acting in his best interest. I was doing something that would be to his best interest. And as I say, he he ended up in the North Home. He was there for nearly three years, three and a half years. And they were wonderful. They were really. And then things got really bad. And he ended up then with cancer, really bad and um, died in January 2019. And uh, yeah, 2019. Miss him, miss him more now than I did then. The the I, I what was I thinking about the other day? That grief, that that kind of grief is in every part of your life. You know the way you kind of when you're growing up, you have different. You have your work life, and then you have your social life, and you have your family life. Grief affects every part of your life. It doesn't stop just because you go out to work or it doesn't stop because you go to meet your friends. It doesn't stop uh, or it doesn't ease um, and grief affects. And I've, I've, I've heard people say things like time and, and I'm sure time makes it easier to bear. But 
grief is it's it's such a horrible it's 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 a it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that kind of kicks you in the gut every now and again. I'd be sitting in the car, and Christy Moore or something would come on the radio, and the tears would just be, I wouldn't even know I'd be crying. The tears would be just rolling down, or I could equally be looking at something on the telly that was so funny that Dermot would find, and I'd be laughing my head off, and the tears would be rolling down my face. In in the joy is the sadness as well. Is 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 the sadness because I miss him. He was he was such a great guy, and I, I at his funeral, he worked in Utrecht for a good number of years. He was he trained as a microbiologist, very very smart, very intelligent, without being mm. confident about being intelligent. But he was, and he loved working in Utrecht. He loved working with young people. He had a special connection with young people. I mean, like eleven to 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds. And a good few of those past students turned up and one of the girls flew from Belgium. And I said to her, I can't believe you're Andrea. I said, I can't believe you after after coming all this way. I said, and she said, and you will never know what he did for me. I was heading down the wrong road, she said, and I met Dermot Cummins. And I said, right. And that meant more to me to for, for the, and even now, if somebody has a post up or somebody says something about them, all of these students jump in and say, Dermo, they called him Dermo and because he used to go out for smoke with them. And, you know, Dermot loved a cigarette and he loved having a drink as well. Um, they, so they, he treated them like just ordinary people. These were children, a lot of them from, they were early school leavers at risk is what they were called or they, and they came from tough backgrounds drug addiction, alcohol addiction, abuse. Um, but Dermot saw past all of that with them. And, and he just had a great connection with young people. He And he he really was passionate about it. He worked on on really great issues, on racism, on bullying. I, I learned so much from simple little things that he would do and say. He was, he was really a special guy. He really, really, really was very special. And... I feel even more, I feel so sorry for myself sometimes, but I feel sorry for Sylvia and Susanna because they missed out on the best years with him, do you know? They, they, they like he, he's their dad, do you know? And they worshipped him and loved him um, and always had loads of time for him, they, they, you know? And he was so proud of the two of them, like Susie into lighting and sound and uh, Sylvia did our uh, dental nursing so I just I used to say to them you get your looks from me but you get your brains from your dad (laughs) you get your brains from your daddy Mm. you know um and I just I I think we're better people for knowing him and you know even my brothers and sisters have he 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 gave the eulogy at my ma's funeral Mm. you know that they they had so much respect for him that they asked him to do that. And he was so touched and honoured, you know, to be asked to do that. The, the, all my, of the 12 of them, and they asked Dermot to do that. And he did. And they, you know, they, they all had such great respect and great time for him. They really did. All of them. Every one of them. I know that. And all sense. have mm. their stories. Mm. Yeah, I know. I know. All mm. have their stories. And then you said there about the girls... You said there about the girls. At what age were the girls when when Jim got sick? Well, they were quite young. They were only, I think they were nine, nine, ten. And everything was grand up to they were. I I often said to my sisters, I took, I, I, the, the, the girls kind of reared themselves from when they were about 14, 15. Because even though we were there, 
all of my time was taken up looking after Dermot. So I'm so lucky that they didn't have any major issues. Do you know, the two of them, they, they, of course they had their own ups and downs and, but they always had each other as well, but they, they, they kind of looked after themselves from when they were about 15, 16 and they did, they did quite a good job, do you know, um, like there's a video going around somewhere of him at their 21st and he's up dancing and, um, they're there. Like we've great memories. They have great memories of him because he he was very much into occasion. You know, he was, he he very much into St. Patrick's Day, Christmas Day, Easter, birthdays were big things for him. But he made other days big as well. And it's, it's, you know, he, 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 you know, he, he just, he'd spend hours with them drawing and, you know, he, he, he never gave up. He, 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 he never gave up um, treating them and, and being with them as, as, as his children. He was so proud of them. He really, really, really was very proud of them and um, proud that they were his, mm. that they, they, these were part of him, do you know, um, Cummins's. And did you have a conversation with them about him going into the home? I did. And so, but they knew that I had reached because they, they, they saw me, mm. um, sitting there not able to, I wasn't functioning properly. Mm. you know, I was going through daily stuff, but everything was such a big challenge for me because it didn't matter where I turned to, you had to start the process all over again. So they, they knew they were living with me and Sylvie was away working in the UK and Susie, they were in college, but they knew that my, that, that things weren't easy. So when he, when that fall happened and he ended up in hospital um, and they, he was so sick, I just said, this is, and they just said, ma'am, that's fine. Mm. And it is a decision that you have to make, mm. you know, for that person or with that person. Um, and as I say, it's something that nobody takes lightly. And I know nobody takes lightly. And I, you know, you can't condone anybody. But yeah, we, we, we discussed it insofar, as I said, this is what I'm planning on doing. Mm. And you're kind of hoping that things are going to change, that this isn't what happens, mm. but this is what we were planning on doing. And they said, right. And they came and we looked at the nursing home and they said, yeah, it's only up the road. I yeah. would have been there quicker than an ambulance. That's why I picked it. I would have been there quicker than Bowmount hospital would have been there by ambulance. And, um, it was nice and it was clean and the girls were nice. The carers were nice. The staff were nice. So yeah, they were, they, they yeah, there wasn't, no, there was no objections. Mm. Do you know, there was no, there was no problem. There was no, no, there was, it wasn't going to be an issue. There, w- there would have been no issue. And then, Anne, is the grief different with COVID? I, do you know what, Rebecca? And you see, you're going back to say, I don't think I would have been able to cope with, with Dermot being in a nursing home, first of all, over the last year, not being able to go in and see him. I, I can't imagine what those families are going through people that are in hospitals, people that are in nursing homes. I, 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 I just can't imagine. And then because I, neighbours of ours have died and all we could do was go out and stand on the road as the hearse passed by. Not being able to go and pay respects to somebody when they die is not part of our, our psyche, our Irish, because going to a funeral is so much for respect for the persons that are still living as well as for the person that died. I can't imagine 
how people have COVID. I, I, I find that one of the hardest things with COVID, I have to say, I find, and I, I, I've spoken to people whose families are in nursing homes and I'd say, I, I drive my car through the front doors. I, I would, that's when I think about it, mm. when I think about it, how not to be able to go and see that person, to be able to put your arms around that person. It's, it's the hardest thing. It's it's tough not being able to go and see your family who are living five more than five k up the road. It, that's hard, mm. but not to be able to see somebody, and especially people that are having dementia or Alzheimer's, because their days the the their days don't mean anything. Twenty four hours is is three hundred and sixty five days. So if they don't see you on Monday, and you come back on Saturday, that's like a year. Mm. And people are not getting to see them for three, six months. I know people that haven't seen them since last November. I, I, I just can't. I, 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 it just freaks me. But then I also think about children because I work at a school as a school traffic warden. My favorite, I have done so many jobs in my work history. I have done so many. My favorite job of all time is as a school traffic warden. I am so lucky. I'm the first person they meet in the morning and the last person they see going out in the afternoon. I have met so many wonderful parents, grandparents of children. Um, my heart breaks for children that are not able to go. And I bet you there are more children missing school than there are children not missing school. You know, the way we all give out, yeah. hate school, hated school, hated the teacher, hated the... I, I think children are suffering big time because of their social contact with their friends. Mm. I really, 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 really do. And imagine children that are, are a one child household, that there is no siblings that they can't have a fight even with, you know, never mind. So I, I feel so, and I've met so many of them. I live in Northside. The school I work at is at Northside. I have met so, and they, all they want to do is stop and talk to me. Mm. And parents, they'd say they miss you more than the teacher at, you know, they, mm. no, even though that's not true. But I think, th- I think that we're going to see the consequences of this, the, 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 the backlash of this in five years time, 10 years time, when these children, when it becomes apparent of how much, the social, never mind the educational end of it, mm. the social aspect of it is so difficult for them. Because when your child goes into school, they have a whole different environment. They have a whole different world in mm. there. Yeah. And sometimes the world parents don't see, or I see, I, I, I'm privy to that. I'm able to go into school, but even then I don't see it, but they have their own little groups of friends. They have their own way of dealing with the teachers. They've their, 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 their interactions. I see them. I see them hop skipping and jumping with joy, having had a row with their mother at the gate mm. an hour earlier and they're hop skipping and laughing their head off in the school where they might've got out of the car crying after having a row over cornflakes or something, mm. you know? So they, 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 it's, it's part of them. It's part of what's, what brings them on, that nurtures them and, the, you know, the teachers and, but it's their, it's their friends. Mm. It's definitely their friends. It's definitely Rebecca. I'm sure you see it with your own girls. Yeah. I'm sure you do. Um, and it, 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 it's affecting everybody. I, I, I find it so stressful. I'm lucky. I'd been out. I haven't stopped working once since it started, but I go home at two o'clock and three o'clock in the afternoon, shut the door and that's it. I don't see anybody. 
I'm such a contradiction in so far as I, I have loads of little jobs. I love theatre, music, cinema, art. I love all of that. But I also have a group of friends that I play bingo with. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people find that really, really strange. You know, I love bingo, mm-hmm. but I love the group. Like there's about 10 or 12 of us that play bingo together. And that was like, um, well, it's, it was like a little therapy session. And I miss that sitting with women similar ages and older and we would talk about everything everything was on the table didn't matter what everything was on the table and we have gone through illnesses cancer depression everything deaths every and these women and as a fella as well sean sits in with us as well they they they're like a support group and people are missing out on that with their friends and their neighbors and just, you know, being able to go out with your girlfriends for a coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm upside down. My life is upside down. But you get up and walk away and you come back to your life and it's not as upside down as it was the mm. half hour before. Do you know what I mean? Mm. That there, without having to go and see a psychiatrist or anybody else, your friends do that for you. The groups that you link in with, your work colleagues, your social colleagues, they're all, they're gone mm. at the moment. There's nothing for, oh my God, it's just awful. Take me back to what you said. We, I was very lucky this last year that I got to have my 40th um, birthday oh party. God. Imagine. No, come here. The best night. The be- that, that was our last night out. Yeah. That was the year. last time I got dressed up to go out anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant. Great Absolutely night. brilliant. And... I was at the bar and someone came up to me and said to me, are you Joe? Air lollipop ladies. <laughs> Is that your auntie? Air, that's your auntie. That's your And I was like, oh my oh God. Oh my God. Isn't it gas? No, come here. No, I, I used to say to my girls, don't ever talk about anybody on the 27 bus. <laughs> no, I did, Rebecca. Yeah. Because you don't know where you're talking. Mm. You mm. don't know. I was at something of yours as well. And parents and they come in and what are you doing here? And I said, what are you doing here? Mm. And it turns out that they're related to you. It was communion. Through, through marriage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Olive. Olive's brother is married to Paul's, Paul's sister. sister. Yeah. And lovely. You see, and I'm, I know these now and I know their children. Mm. And, but Dublin, Ireland, never mind. Well, Dublin. Dublin is only a little village. Mm. Everybody, no, there is, there's, you cannot throw a stone that you don't hit somebody that you know or you're related to. Everybody knows everybody, everybody. And I miss those people now that I've got to know. People like Olive and Dave over there, like um, Lola is going into first class. So four, three, four years they're, they're like my, I, I know them. Mm. That child tells me things mm. and I'd be like that today. In one ear, out the other ear, doesn't matter. <laughs> do you know? Mm. But they say things to me mm. because they know me mm. and they trust me. Mm. I'm somebody that's at the school every morning and uh, Sonny, who doesn't even go to the girl. I, I, Sonny, uh, I love him. Mm. I'd run away, do you know? And this other pair, oh my God. And um, the girl that works with Paul's sister, Lindsay's work. Emma. Emma. Yeah. She's at my school as well. Right. Do you know, but I didn't know her yeah. either yeah. for such a long time. And now I know her daughter and now she has the twins and, do you know, and life is like that. It intertwines itself around everything. Like some of those kids came to my house during the first COVID with flowers oh and cakes and said, we miss you. 
like, here I am. I'm only the lollipop lady. Yeah. They miss me. And But that's, you know, to have an effect on a child's life like that. I love, I absolutely love the bonds. I have to tell you, um, for the first few years when I was doing lollipop, there, there was a big thing made about buying Christmas gifts. You know, the way the kids bring yeah. in Christmas gifts mm. to the teachers, which I know the teachers don't want, but it's lovely. I used to have to drive my car down to the school gate to load up the car with the gifts that were I was receiving. So two years ago, I said to the school, to the principal, I said to Aoife, I said, I want you to send out a little note and ask them that I love the gifts and I'm very honoured that they give me a gift. But instead of giving me a gift, would they give me a one euro or a two euro coin in a little box that I have and a bell and I will donate that money to charity. And this is nothing, nothing to do with me, but I asked for this. The first year I got 300 euro and I gave in to brother Kevin and he sent the most, you think you were after giving him 3 million euro. He sent the most beautiful letter to the school, to the students and the staff and the principal and me to say thank you. And I said, no, nothing to do with me. The students that they gave that and they were so happy to put their euro in the box. So this year, because of connections with the hospice, I asked for the one euro, two euro coin. I have a letter at home thanking me for just under 700 euro. Oh my God. That the parents and the students and your mum and dad actually gave a beautiful donation as well um, that I brought down to the hospice. And I said, I didn't miss. I still got gifts. I still got bottles of wine. Because <laughs> you do that. <laughs> yeah. I still got bottles of wine and mm. I still got a beautiful homemade chocolate biscuit cake and all of that. But that money and I, I, I want them to know. I'm going to ask Aoife now at assembly for me to go up and say, see this, this is your money. This is nothing got to do. You gave this and they wanted to give their money. Some of the parents said to me, thank you so much for doing that. Mm. Uh, and I said, no, but I said, I don't need anything. And, and they said they wanted to, they wanted to show their children that it wasn't just about giving gifts. Mm. It wasn't about that. It was about doing something for somebody else. And I said, the hospice were so grateful. So grateful. And I miss them. I, I miss it so much, Rebecca. I can't wait to get back. I absolutely, I love it. And when I went for the interview for that job, I'll never forget your man, Damien. He's retired now. And he said to me, and now, you know, you'll be out working in the cold and the rain and the snow. And I said, yeah, no, Damien. I said, that wouldn't bother me. And he said, what? And I said, well, I suppose if you were crying, I said, no, nobody would notice that in the rain. <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, no, not that I would be crying, but I said, but just if you were out in the in, the, mm. in that kind of way, if you were crying. And I always remember that because I have stood there and they have, when, after Jeremy died, some of the, the, the children, oh my God, because they, the, the parents told them, well, Aoife said she told the parents that Jeremy had died. They all knew Jeremy wasn't well. Um, and she said, I'm going to leave it up to you what to tell the children. And, and some of them did. And one of the kids came up to me and, and they said, Anne, I'm so glad you're back. And I know you must be really sad that your husband is gone, but we missed you terribly. <laughs> Do you know? And I just said, there you go. Mm. Life moves on, life goes on. And it doesn't, that it, my grief is my grief mm. and it's still inside of me, but kids and older, I, I, I deal with older people as well because I'm out working in the community and some of them, the, the things they can say to you and they can make you laugh or cry. I was telling, she said to me, you have great energy. And I said, no, wait, I'll tell you something. I said, when I was in my forties, I said, I get up in the morning, seven o'clock into the shower, 
wash, dress, down the stairs, have the kids wash, dress, the house cleaned, wa- washing the floors as I'm going out the door. I said, I went up to have a shower the other day. I said, I had to lie down for 20 minutes <laughs> after I had the shower. I said, I had to lie down for 20 minutes. I'm shattered. Mm. But I said, that's my age. Do you know, mm. I'd be 60 now this year. I can't believe I'm 60. I... I look in the mirror and I frighten the life out of myself. <laughs> I'd be like that. I say, sweet Jesus, you're lucky. But inside, <laughs> I'm still, talk. no, but you don't. And I wonder, do, is, does everybody feel like that? I still feel like the person I was 30 years ago. Mm. I feel strongly about things. I get upset about the same things. They say as you get older, you get that, you know, I don't mm. care. Mm-hmm. I don't, that doesn't bother me. Things do bother me. And still, you know, I want to... I want to make sure that everybody is okay still. Mm. I hope I never reached a stage where I don't care that everybody is okay. Do you know? Yeah. I hope I never reached that stage. I say that about myself as so I'm saying, well, I thought when I was 30, I wouldn't get myself into trouble. You know, wouldn't get <laughs> my mouth wouldn't get me into trouble, you know, or I wouldn't care what people said. And now I'm 40. I'm like, I'm still getting myself into, into trouble, trouble. <laughs> you know? So is it 50 that that happens that you grow wiser, you know, where it is? So no, but know. you do. No, I'm sure you don't, Rebecca. And I love outspoken people. And I, you know, I'd be kind of saying... God, I'd love to have the guts to say that. But I'd be the one that would be kind of say, no, the, no, it's it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not, you know, I, mm. I'd be the peacemaker. I yeah. would always be a peacemaker. Yeah. I would try not to anger anybody or upset anybody. But I don't think, I think you have to be, if, if you, and, and especially now in the business you're heading into, mm. you have to be outspoken. I love looking at you on the television. I love it. Mm. We record it. Madeline is recording it in it's Manchester. So yeah. Do you know, she's <laughs> loving it. They're loving it. And they, they, they miss the one with the kids. Yeah. And I said, we'll try and get it and send yeah. it to you. Yeah. Do you know, it's a connection. And I think you'd be wonderful in that kind of work, Rebecca. I do. Um. Your own show, never mind being a guest on somebody's show. Your own show. Yeah. But come here, can I ask you then, Susanna, coming out? Absolutely. So Susanna came out. When did she come out? Um, She was about, I think we knew, I knew for, for a while, 15, 16, and just so proud of her and so much. No, you do think of, I won't say that, it's not that there's problems ahead for them. Everybody faces every, you know, starting off in life, whatever path you choose or whatever road you're going down. I did think about other people's reaction to her, but she's so, how would you describe her? She's so straight. Yeah. In one way. Yeah. Straight is, uh, you know, but she's, she, she has such opinions on things. Um, She's so she's so out there in, in some ways and then is so into herself in other ways, in, in introverted in other ways. She's in a business where it's very acceptable. Mm. You know, she's in the theatre business. She's a lightened, uh, designer. Uh, uh, she, she works in that area, in that environment. Um, so she, it's, it's much more acceptable. Um, and she, she just is, She's just an amazing human being. She's just so acceptable and she she's prepared to stand up for people, not only for gay rights, for all across the board. Mm. She won't, she, you know, she'd get herself into arguments over racism mm. and creed and colour. She, she She's just so like that. 
as is Sylvia. Sylvia mm. can be very outspoken and straight as well. And they're they're like yin and yang. Mm. Do you know, Sylvia was kind of always girly, girly. And mm. Susie always had this, like she was always out on the road playing football. She was always into the the, the, the boys thing. She's a fabulous artist as well. But she, she was, like I remember when she was about four or five, she was going up the stairs and she said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a boy. She said, yeah, you know, yeah. she actually said that, yeah. you know, yeah. that's her. And she, she's, I'm, and I'm very proud of her. I'm mm. very proud of her. And it's not something I remember one of the mothers, another mother saying to me about putting out the flag for gay pride. And I said, no, you see, I don't need to do that. I'm, I'm proud of my daughter every day. I don't need to put the gay pride flag out or I don't need, you know, um, and the first few times you think about things or you're introducing things, it's a little bit awkward, but now I just say, and this is my daughter, Susanna and her partner, Evie. That's Mm. it. There's no explanation. I don't give any, I don't. You don't need to. I don't need to. Mm. And it is a little bit more acceptable now and it is more open now. And she, she, she is wonderful friends. I remember she, like she was at a wedding uh, two years ago and I thought it was a gay wedding. And when I saw the <laughs> and she said, but I do have friends who are not gay. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, course. I just assumed it was a gay wedding yeah, she yeah. was going to. And when I saw the white dress and the suit, the, the girl and fell in, the, I said, Susie, that was the wedding. She said, yeah, they're my friends. They're just, just because I'm gay doesn't mean all my friends are gay. Yeah. So, yeah, it is. And it's very acceptable. And I do find that I have a few, one or two uh, parents that I've met along the years now um, have come to me and because they know that my daughter is gay and they've said to me, I think my son is gay or, and I'd say, and they'd say, and I, what should I do? And I'd say, nothing. Just make sure that you know, they know you love them. That's all you have to do. Nothing else. Mm. You don't have to stand up and wave the banner and be the, the, you know, you don't have to do that. Just let them know that you are their parent and you love them the person that they are. I can't imagine it. Like when you hear stories now about people coming out years ago and not being able to come out years ago, how difficult it was for people. Um, Dermot was even, even I, I was acceptable. He was even more acceptable. It didn't, he didn't even blink an eye. He didn't even blink an eye. That was his child. And, you know, didn't matter. And it wouldn't matter with either of them, whatever they choose, whatever paths they choose. Um, they, they were so lucky. Um, the two of them are, and they're, and they're great buddies and they're great friends. And as they're getting older, they're even closer and closer together, the two of them. Tell me about Come Dine With Me. You're their man. I, know, I love here. it. Tell me. I don't know. I don't even know. The, 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 we're all mad into the TV program or had been. I'd stopped watching it about a year ago because uh, I'm not a good cook. I'm, I'm really not a good cook, <laughs> but I enjoy watching other people's and things like that. And about um Seven weeks ago, they suggested that we were going to do a come down with me. And I said, oh, no, I said, like if they just said something else, like a dress up or doing a show or something mm. or singing a song, or I would have been happier. They said, no, we have to do We're doing a come down with me. You pick your theme, you do the food, you have to do a starter, a mains and a dessert and tell us the theme in advance and invite us and you do the whole lot. So then we said, right, OK. And I said, I'm going to go first. I don't even know why I said go first. I wanted to get rid of it. Because w- these are all in the bubble, aren't you? These are all in five. 
five of us in a bubble. Yeah. That's the, Su- Susie and Evie, they're a couple and Sylvia and Dara, they're a couple and then there's me. Mm. So the five of us are in the bubble. We spend all our weekends together and evenings together. So we're, we're in our own bubble. Um, and it was for something to do. And it started off kind of as a bit of a, you know, yeah, okay. And I said, uh, I'll go first. Had no idea. Spent the, the, the next two weeks deciding on what I was going to do. And I'm really not a good cook. I'm really not like spaghetti bolognese, cabbage, bacon and bidet is no problem. But when it comes to and fancy, not good. And uh, they said you had to do the tree. So I, I did a menu and I went first. We did uh, a holiday team was mine and I did a paella, which was I thought was fabulous. The next week then was Evie. And that was even better than fabulous. She did a tapas and then Susie did a black tie night which was absolutely amazing. And I like I'm, I'm in bed by 10 o'clock because I've drank so much wine at that stage. The food is fabulous. And we, we, what we started doing was little quizzes at the end of them just mm. to keep the entertainment going. And mm. we were up dancing and singing and everything else. Um, so Dara now is tomorrow night and it's just something that's taken on. The girls have done a, a little podcast on it and their, their friends are like, we had a week off last week because the Super Bowl was on yeah. and we were doing Super Bowl Sunday. We were doing the food for that. So people were saying, why are you not on your come down with me? What happened? And Sylvia and Susie were saying, no, we're back next Saturday. So we're here this Saturday. Tomorrow night now, Dara is doing um, American football night. And he, the food though is supposed to be really good. His mom said he, he has tried the few dishes and she said, you're in for, for a treat. So, and he is really good really and quite competitive. So um, the, the competition will be up another notch. And then Sylvia is the last week and she's doing Shit's Creek. And she sent the invitation uh, with who you had to be. So uh, she said, Anne Cummins as Myra Rose. So I've- Have to, you watched it? Yeah. Oh, it's my favourite. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it for the second time, Rebecca. I absolutely love it. Mm. And my favourite song of all time has always been Tina Turner, Simply the Best, but it's now the... the 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 two lads singing it when he asks him to marry him oh, yeah. simply the best I just I, I love it mm-hmm. and I think they've done huge things for the gay community as well love love it I just love have you watched it yeah I love it I absolutely you know, love it um, I was actually on a trip there two years ago God when I could go on trips I was in the Caribbean and um, one of the girls said to me at the dinner table have you ever watched Shit's Creek and I said to her no I actually hadn't and she said so you don't know who Maura Rose is and I oh, said no, and she said you're every bar. You're a bit like her. She said you are. You're carrying on everything. <laughs> she said you are every single bar of Moira Rose. And then I what came home obviously is intrigue, curiosity, and I watched it and I text Kira and I said to her, "Are you for?" Her? And she said, "No, you are absolutely so aloof at times. At times, yeah." yeah. She said, yeah. "You are exactly like yeah, Moira yeah, Rose. Rose. I love her. I absolutely love her. I love, love, love it." Can't wait. Yeah. And I'm really I'm looking dying. forward to I'm now. looking forward to seeing the pictures. Yeah. I followed the girls on Instagram. Obviously, they're my cousins, but um, I, Susanna was sending me messages last week with the champagne. Oh my and God. Like it that. was gorgeous. We had a great night. You recommended a, a bottle of champagne, which was only 15 euro. Yeah. And one of the nicest champagnes. I like, I've drank champagne that cost 100 euro yeah. a bottle. Uh-huh. Um, and kind of said, yeah, that's nice, you know. Yeah. But that that champagne last Saturday night was really, really good. It was a great night. No, I was in bed. Saturday night, the, the dinner started at half six. I think I was in bed at half ten and got up on Sunday, didn't even get dressed. I was dying with a hangover from the champagne, the Prosecco and everything else. Great. 
So um, before I let you go, I just want to see how you are. How are you? I'm good. I'm, do you know what, Rebecca? I consider myself a really lucky person. I, I, I'm very lucky in so far as for everything that we've talked about for, for my marriage, for my children, for my family, for my brothers and sisters who I'm, I will always be eternally grateful for, for, and I love, love, love them. But I'm very lucky that I have, I've, I've, I've no health problems. I've, I'm very healthy. I, and I look after myself and I enjoy my life. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky that I have jobs because I say jobs because sometimes I could have three jobs or four jobs, little jobs, um, that I love and I meet people. I couldn't, I, for years and years, I worked in an office and I could, I couldn't go back to working in an office on my own again. Mm. I couldn't, I absolutely couldn't. I have to be out and about. I ha- I could work in a shop, I'd, I'd say, but I have to have that interaction with people. I have to be able to say, hello, good morning. How are you? Um, and in my job that I'm out doing now at the moment, I, I called into a couple in their nineties down in Iona the other day and they said, come in and have a cup of tea. And because they're, they haven't been out anywhere. And because I was, had my PPE gear on, I went in two hours later, I was still sitting inside in the colour and I hear I am. I'm so lucky. Mm. I'm so lucky that I can do that. Mm. And nobody is, um, and I'm so lucky that I, I, I had, as I said, my marriage, Dermot, that I have the freedom now um, to do, and I, I can do anything. Um, don't want, there's lots of things I don't want to do or that I may have to do that I, I might not want to do. But I'm lucky that I have, I have no, I've no worries, if you can put it like that. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm lucky that I can get up in the morning, go to work, come home. And you know that, uh, I'm, I'm not, um, I've no stress, Rebecca. That's I think stress when, when that time when I was talking about earlier on, when I was so down and so depressed, it was, it was stress. I was on and to be under stress causes all sorts of, it's not only to you and what it does to you, it physically can damage it, mentally it can damage you, but it damages you in every other aspect. It, it damages you, everything you touch in your life. Do you know? So to, to be stress-free is, you know, and I do worry. I worry about my family. I worry about my sisters and brothers, but I'm not stressed about anything. I can deal with things that come along. Whereas when I was living in that environment with Dermot, everything little things became huge problems. And when you're trying to live a life like that, you can't, you can't, you just can't, you, you, you something has to give either your health or your, the, the balance of your, your life isn't right. So to, to, to be stress-free I, and I'm very, very lucky. I have days when I'm very sad, um, that I find it hard to, to, to think that my best friend isn't here anymore, that he's not going to be able to come on holidays, that he's not going to enjoy my birthdays. He's not going, you know, all of those things, but I have other people around me that will enjoy these occasions with me. And I'm very, very lucky. I, I, I think I'm a lucky person. I do think I'm lucky. Do you know what? Like this to thing, like I haven't told anyone. I haven't told my mum or dad that you're sitting with me. All right. I okay. haven't told anyone because I just, I just knew sitting down with you because I, I do love you. You know, I, love I know you, you do. And I love and you. You're just so lovely. You're so lovely. Oh my God. And um, you know what? I just know. And I, I actually, the only person I said it to was Robert Jervis, my brother. 
I says, by the way, I says, we were in Santry Park last week having a walk with the kids. And I said, by the way, I have Auntie Anne. And he went, oh, he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that'll be your, the first podcast you've done that I listened to. Ah, uh, no. And he said to me, he said, he said to me, I just know, he said, even her, the way she speaks, her voice. He said, it'll just be so lovely. And Isn't I that knew, lovely? But I knew, because well, as you said, Jim, it was special, but you're special as well. Cause, and I knew when I sat down with you that this would be lovely. So thank you very much thank for sitting you. down I've with me. Thank you. I've thoroughly, more than I thought I was going to, not enjoy it is the wrong... But it's like, it's like a session, Rebecca. It's like, a, it's, it is to give you a chance to talk about yourself. Cause I would be one of those people that I would always want other people to talk about themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, you know, as you grow older, you learn the, the art of good conversation is letting people talk and letting them, but to be given the opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. yourself and say things about yourself and to say things about how you feel as well. And to be honest about it. Um, cause I have, yeah, yeah. And I, I, again, I I just want to thank you because I I do think I'm very lucky. I'm I'm lucky to have all the families that I have, Mm -hmm. all the families, all my nieces, my nephews, their children. That's our big, we're a huge, we're a huge gang. (laughs) Don't talk, you needn't go anywhere else. We're a huge gang, huge gang. No, thank you. Thanks a million. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.